Welcome back, AAP subscribers and AAP podcast listeners. Chris Versace here, and welcome to 2024. Yes, we do have a shortened trading week, but we are back with a fresh podcast to kick off the new trading year. And joining me on this episode is Bob Lang, the one behind all of our nice technical looks at various stocks throughout the week. And of course, the brains behind the chart of the week that we publish each Friday in the AAP Roundup. Bob, thanks for joining me. And uh, you look great. I say that because I know you've been under the weather. So thanks especially for joining us as we kick off 2024. Um, you know, as, as we're kind of getting started, we're shortened trading week. Like I said, we're coming off the Santa Claus rally, which appears to be a little bit of a dud this year. Any thoughts on kind of what happened? Well, Chris, first of all, uh, Happy New Year to you and to all of our subscribers as well, too. Um, yeah, so yeah, let's step back and talk about that Santa Claus rally thing. Um, and I think there's a lot of there's a bit of a misconception out there that people thought that the markets were going to rally upwards, that it happens every single time uh, just because of the words Santa Claus rally. And it's because, of the, you know, the, the time frame, obviously, at the end of December, it's the last five trading days of the year and the first two of the new year. Um, let's let's remember something that um, my good friend Jeff Hirsch, whose dad, Yale Hirsch, created this indicator some 50 plus years ago, said that this is just an indicator. And it it it, it actually, interestingly enough, Chris, uh, it is positive or bullish about 67 percent of the time, which, you know, you think, OK, well, two thirds, that's pretty good, right? Let's, let's remember something. The stock market goes up about 66% of the time. Mm -hmm. Really, you don't have much of an edge there, do you? I mean, it, no, you it don't. really doesn't give you an indication of what the stock market is doing relative to uh, one week or one month or six months right. or even a whole year, right? So, so, um, so it, let me... It, it, I, I, go ahead. Uh, let, let, let me ask you this. So it's, it's an indicator... Does it tell us anything kind of like um, a lot of people look into how small caps perform in the first month of the new year? That seems to suggest if they do well, the market's going to do well. If they don't, the market doesn't necessarily have to do well. Uh, is, is there any kind of read in like that for the overall market that we can get from the Santa Claus rally? Should it happen or not? Well, now you're talking about sentiment. You're talking about emotions and 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 there's a lot of uh, power, a lot of momentum built in behind emotions and 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 uh, and, and the sentiment and the, and the greed that is out there. People wanting to have their market, have their money at risk, and when the markets are going up. But um, I will tell you that um, it, there's a lot of these calendar anecdotes out there, Chris. We're in the middle of two of them right now. Uh, we just finished up the Santa Claus rally yesterday, um, which was on uh, January 3rd. That was the seventh trading day down almost 1%, Chris, on the S&P 500. And the, the the rule of thumb is that um, if, I guess what Yale Hirsch said, if if uh, Santa Claus were uh, were, were not to uh, come to uh, come to fruition and we weren't going to have a, uh, a, a a bullish rally here that we would, uh, the bears would come to broad and wall. So that the, the inclination here is that markets are probably going to do poorly in the next 12 to 18 months based on this one indicator. Now, of course, again, I, as I told you, two thirds of the time it's wrong um, if that if that is the case. But 
We're in the middle of two uh, new indicators, Chris, in January. They call it the first five days, the FFD, the first five days of January. And they say that how, how the first five days go, so goes the month of January. And then they say, as the month of January goes, so goes the rest of the year. So, you know, I I, I, I don't know. I mean, la, la, of course, this year, 2023, we had a, a strong January, and we obviously had a strong finish in the rest of the year. NASDAQ up 53%. But... Um, you know, then we've got these other anecdotes coming out later in, you know, sell in May and go away and, and July uh, summer rally, all this other stuff. So, again, some people really believe in this stuff and people use this as uh, fuel to go ahead and put more money at risk. I don't particularly think that they're they're viable for me as a, as a trading or an investing tool, but you have to recognize it and acknowledge it that other people do. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It, it's, you know. It's always it pays to be mindful to understand either the market mood or, as you said, market sentiment. Uh, there are other indicators, of course, that track market sentiment. We're actually going to have a piece out on Friday walking through three of them. Um, but but you have to be mindful of that as you assess, you know, the technicals, the fundamentals, the thematics and and all the other things that you look at, because as, as we know, Bob, um, while I might be more fundamentally based or you're more technically based, there is no silver bullet. There is no one thing to look at, much like valuing stocks, uh, price targets, risk points. We have to triangulate around. But I, I did want to ask you about the Santa Claus rally, because I know in recent AAP videos, you've been talking about the Santa Claus rally, and I just wanted to get your two cents on it now that it's kind of come to a close. But let me step back and ask a, a larger market question for you. Um, no question, you know, the stock market had a simply tremendous move um, off the bottom, October 26th, 27th, depending on what you're looking at. Great November, you know, despite the, uh, uh, tepid finish at the end of 2023, still a strong December. Um, but my concern was that, and you and I have talked about this, but, you know, the market was, you know, overbought and not necessarily overbought, but flirting with being overbought. There were other indicators that were suggesting, oh, the market could be running out of gas. And then as we come into January, you know, the last couple of days, we've seen the market start to trade off a little bit, right? We, we've got some more earnings cuts, uh, guidance was softer than expected. People are starting to question valuation on certain high-profile stocks. Uh, you know, we've shared our thoughts with AAP members on all of that. Um, but I wanted to get your sense on, from a technical perspective, are we still overbought? Is the market coming back to more normalized RSI levels? How do you read the setup? I think it's interesting, Chris, how uh, a lot of people out there try and find excuses and reasons for why the markets are doing what they're doing. And uh, frankly, I don't, I don't need to know the reasons. I just need to know it's happening. With the markets going down, I just need to know it's happening. If the market's going up, I just need to know it's happening and then make my adjustments from there. I don't need to know the reasons for it. So a lot of people out there, Chris, are, are blaming the fact that, you know, people uh, held on to their stocks through last Friday for tax reasons, tax purposes. They didn't want to have to sell any stocks at the end of the year. Yeah, and then they, I think finally the new year comes in and they sell it, right? Yeah, I think Todd Campbell said something about that on Twitter. That's right. Yeah, he, Todd Todd addressed that in a really good piece uh, out on uh, uh, Street Smarts, and mm -hmm. he talked about it uh, as well too, um, also in social media on on Twitter, as you said. So, um, but 
you know, again, it's it's there there are a million reasons to sell. There's only one reason to buy, right? So if you look at it from that perspective, um, why why do why do we ever really need to know any any particular reason why people are selling, other than the fact that uh, they made some money and they want to take some chips off the table? And so to your point earlier, yes, I think the market um, in the intermediate term is still a little bit overbought. In the short term, it's pretty oversold. So we're we're at this crossroads here right now where we have um, a, some money flows coming in uh, at the beginning of the month, trying to find a place to, to to park money. We have earnings season coming up. It's going to be starting up big time in about two weeks. I know the banks come out next week, Chris. You talked about this recently. And um, uh, so we'll, we'll find out a little bit more about what uh, what these companies have in store for 2024. But I think for the most part, you know, money flows um, for the long term are, are, are pretty bullish on the on the markets. All right, so let me back you up a second because you you said something that might confuse some listeners. You said on the medium term, the market is still overbought, but on the short term, it looks a little oversold. So just just clarify those time frames. What is short term in your view when you say something like that? What's medium term? So short term for me, Chris, is about two to four weeks. So we're about two to four weeks. Uh, if you look at all the indicators, on the short-term basis, we're we're pretty we're we're pretty well oversold. Um, even uh, even as we r- rallied a little bit um, earlier in the week, not too much, but a little bit. Uh, we still we still are a bit oversold now. Um, after last uh, after the last trading day of the year, I think the S P 500 fell about 100 handles, 100 S 100 S P points, which is probably about two percent. Um, but in the in the medium term, if you take a look at it like a weekly chart, and I'm looking more on a, on a uh, two to four month time frame for the intermediate term. I think the, the the uptrend is still intact, and even if we pull back, Chris, another three percent from here, the uptrend is still intact, and we can still uh, look at to uh, to nibble and dr- and pick up some uh, some stocks that have fallen uh, down maybe three, four, five percent. And and with that, uh, when you and I were chatting yesterday, you had kind of shared a couple points for the S and P 500 that you're watching technical support levels. I, I think one was around I want to say 4600, and there was another 4550, 4560, something like that. That's right, and uh, I think even ultimately down to 4500, which could uh, you know which people are gonna are are, are gonna feel like uh, feel like death uh, to their portfolios. That's only uh, uh, less than two uh, percent down on the, in the or two and a half percent down in the markets. The uptrend is still intact. If you look at the intermediate term charts, if you look at the, the weekly charts, the the it's just a higher low in place. But um, you realize something that even if the market goes down two to two and a half percent, you have can have some stocks like a Home Depot for one uh, or something like that could drop five to seven percent right down in your lap. Here's a stock that. Uh, that that we've talked about before, um, it's in that home building uh, retail area. This could drop four, five, six percent, and, and set up a really nice buying opportunity for people to add before uh, they have earnings in February. Yeah, well, you know that we're watching very closely the shares of Builders First Source (BLDR) that's in that's the right. AAP bullpen. You know, I, right. I like them because they've got a more direct exposure to the top ten home builders, but they that's about home building. Uh, new home building is about two thirds of their business, and repair remodels about a third. So it, it's a really nice balance. Uh, I do think that that will be a good performer in 2024. I just think that, you know, uh, 
What has me concerned in the near term is the lack of mortgage growth that we saw reported earlier this week, despite the fall in mortgage rates, leads me to think that some of the home building stocks might have gotten ahead of themselves, along with the market's expectation for, uh, and I have to do this, Bob, sorry, not three, not four, not five, six, count them, six rate cuts in 2024. And I, I think as we're starting to see um, whether it was the ADP December employment report, the uh, S&P global reports for both manufacturing and services in December, or even the ISM manufacturing report for December, uh, the economy is holding up better than expected. Uh, jobs are holding up better than expected. And I think it's going to give the Fed a little bit of room to run, i.e. they're not necessarily in a rush to start cutting rates just yet. What do you think? I agree with that. And also, don't forget, uh, we're in a seasonal period where uh, lumber prices are starting to uh, to rise, too. And this is a huge um, input for home builders. Right. And so a lot of other uh, commodities as well, copper uh, and uh, metals and so forth. Uh, the, these um, commodities have, have started to pick up in, uh, in, in prices. I've noticed their charts recently, Chris. They're, they're also looking pretty strong. So you know, that could be an impediment for some of these home builders and 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 some of these companies that uh, that rely on that on those commodities. But uh, you know, I agree with the Fed. Um, we we talked to mention about the Fed. Um, it's 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 astonishing to me how the market is trying to um, flex some sort of power versus the Fed to, to force them to cut rates more than they probably really want to. And um, uh, I would not be surprised, Chris, in, in the next meeting in January, or even in some of the uh, wording that we have coming out in the next couple of weeks, there's going to be a lot of Fed speakers over the next week and a half coming out talking about uh, Fed policy, probably. And um, if they, they throw cold water uh, on the uh, on the markets and say, listen, you're way ahead of yourself, and we'll see a backup in rates on the long end. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because, you know, the next week and a half or so is really as the it's excuse me it's as the december quarter earnings season really kicks into gear you mentioned next friday as we're taping this uh a bevy of banks bank of america jp morgan city wells fargo um there's a couple other uh, companies in there i think blackrock and uh bny mellon reports as well on that day um you know it's going to be going to be insightful I think what they have to say about their business, but what they see in terms of the consumer, what they see in terms of loan activity, mortgage demand, um, and and a few other things. So it, it's it's going to be rather interesting. But then the following week, the deluge begins, Bob, and that's really where I think the rubber is going to start to hit the road. And and there, there's a couple things that have me just a little concerned about the December quarter earnings season, more so on the guidance front. Um, remember, right before. Wall Street kind of took its, you know, Christmas holiday break. Uh, we got weaker than expected guidance from Accenture, Nike, FedEx, and General Mills, right? Um, that wasn't very good. Calmain, we, we can add that to the list, but I think that's more specific to eggs uh, in particular and egg pricing. But there was something in the S&P Global Services PMI report for December that I found, you know, kind of irksome. Uh, and I don't use that word very often. Um, it was this. Uh, input prices, again, this is the service PMI report, picked up, but output pricing did not. 
And, you know, again, this is one month of data. Don't, don't want to say it's a trend just yet, but it has me a little bit concerned that there are certain inputs. Uh, they called out wages in particular, and we know wages are going a little bit higher again uh, as we enter 2024. But it's the ability to offset those with price increases. And if companies are not able to do that or as much as they were able to in the past, the concern I have is for margins and bottom line EPS expectations as a result. Yeah, and um, I, I, we haven't really heard a lot of these uh, analysts come out cutting, cutting too much. Uh, here and there, uh, you hear them cutting, uh, cutting estimates, but by and large, I think, didn't you say that um, 2024 is looking for a double digit increase in, uh, in earnings uh, expectations? The, the, or? For, the, for the basket of 500 companies that comprise the S&P 500, consensus 2024 EPS expectations call for just over 11% earnings growth. And remember last year, you know, we, we haven't closed the books on 2023, but it's safe to say that it's probably sub 2%. Yeah, so, but 11%, I mean, Chris, I mean, with, with, with still a high interest rate environment, we're still at 5%. And, and if we get the two and a half rate cuts that the Fed is looking at, and we don't get what the market's looking at, we're still going to be over 4.7% on interest rates. Is, is that a, um, a competitive rate for, um, for the markets? Is that an environment where earnings can grow 11%? Especially if they're if the Fed is only going to be cutting if the economy is starting to slow down. I, uh, yeah, I mean, look, I I think that there's a number of reasons. I rattled off one. You gave a couple that you know that consensus expectation is going to come down. I think that's going to start to happen in let's say early second half of January when we start to get these deluge of companies reporting. You know that timing could match up with what you were saying earlier about you know the market potentially pulling back right so i i think the middle of january could be um you know a little i won't say dicey but i i i think it's gonna lead to some resetting of expectations we've will be coming off fed you know uh, a wave of fed speakers as you said we'll also have the fed meeting and of course that's going to come with powell and you know if he sticks to the playbook and what the fed heads have said have heads excuse me what the fed heads have said so far including Bostic, which is, I don't see any rate cuts to the back half of the year. That's going to be a little bit of a wake-up call for the market. And and, and let's, let's not forget, how where has the market come from? At the end of October, Chris, it was 4,100, the S&P, right? So if and we're at almost a 40, uh, 4,700 and change right now. If we pull back 200 points, it means this, the stock market is still up 10% from that low in October to wherever it goes, ends up at. And, and that could be, again, another 150 to 200 points lower than where we are right now. So I I, I don't really think that um, uh, people are prepared for that. They're ready for that. Um, and, I, and I think uh, you've alluded this to, to this before, Chris, is that um, perhaps the market has priced in stronger earnings that are going to be uh, stronger than reported earnings that are going to be coming out of the next five to six weeks. And, and that, that could be a problem. And again, you, as you mentioned about earnings expectations for the for the whole market, what we know is that when those numbers start coming down, they hit the market right away. Quietly, you know, some company like Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, uh, or, you know, uh, Wells Fargo or Fidelity, these analysts start quietly cutting numbers and cutting expectations. 
they hit the markets quickly and hard. And then finally, after it's already done, then we find out about it. So um, that's the one thing you have to be careful of. Well, the concern that I have is as those numbers come down, you know, you know, you've known me long enough to know where I'm going with this, Bob, that when consensus EPS numbers come down, you have to start to revisit the market multiple. You know, yeah. we'll we'll see what happens. You know, it, it's too early to tell if 2024 EPS for the S&P 500 should be up 5%, up 2%, up 7%, right? We're, we, it's still early in the game. And, and to be fair, there are areas where, you know, I continue to see uh, very good growth prospects. You know, we, we did very well in 2023 with our uh, stimulus-related plays and I in the AAP portfolio, and I think that those are going to continue to roll through. In fact, I was reading today that the Biden administration made another award tied to the CHIPS Act. That's another, you know, confirmation point that that money is starting to break free. The logjam is giving way. And I think that's going to only pick up steam as we move through the next couple quarters. That should be very good for a second half, given the timing, right? You, money gets awarded, companies start, you know, putting plans to work, then you break ground and do things, you know, stronger second half of the year. Um, that's what I think anyway. So, um, so, so, so Chris, I had a curious question for you. Um, uh, let's say, you know, the, the market's interpretation of, Fed policy is that they're going to be super aggressive, six rate cuts coming in in 2024. Um, but we've, we've known historically that the Fed tends to back off at least two, maybe three months before the election, especially the presidential election coming up this year. So that you'd be talking about, you know, they would stand back maybe in September. Um, there's, a, there's eight meetings this year. So uh, September meeting is the Fifth, uh, sixth meeting of the year, um, would they back off? I mean, would they? Would if the if if the market is right, then basically the Fed is going to front load all these rate cuts. There's no really no reason to do that, is there? Especially the estimates that we have for GDP growth in fourth quarter is about two percent right now, two or anywhere from two to two point four. Um, of course, the jobs number is going to going to make that one move. Um, but what what do you, I mean? What, what do you think about that? I mean, is they, they they normally had a pause before the election. They don't want to have some sort of influence in what's going on in the election. Well, what, what's funny is they say that they're independent, right? But we know that they're not, right? And right. I think you can trace it back. And you're you're right. At least one Fed meeting before a presidential election, they you know they do nothing. Um, but you raise a good point, though, and it's something I've been talking about. You know, some of the numbers that we've been getting lately, we even saw the Atlanta Fed GDP number for its GDP now model pop up to 2.5%, right? And then again, if we look inside the order flow for the recent PMI reports, you know, they're looking better. Uh, even the services PMI I alluded to earlier, you know, the order numbers picked up and hiring picked up because. Uh, businesses expect a pickup in business in the coming months. So that tells you that the odds of the economy falling off a cliff are pretty, you know, let's just say low at this point. We'll have to see what happens, but, it, you know, the, the tea leaves are saying pretty low. So it's hard to see them front-loading those rate cuts, you know? So my, my thinking has been, and I, I wrote a piece on this, I think September, October to AAP members, that... You know, I think that we could see a rate cut in the June, July timeframe, middle of the year. 
you know, uh, they might want to get one in at that point because the next meeting after July is September. They can't do anything, kind of like you were saying. Then they have a July, uh, sorry, uh, September. Then I think the next meeting is either November or December. I can't remember off the top of my head. So that could give you two rate cuts. You know, maybe there's one more, you know, May, June, July, somewhere in there. So maybe it's three. But, you know, again, the data today is just, you know, there's no rush. I just don't see it. Yeah, and and the only reason why the Fed would um, pull the trigger and, and start cutting rates more aggressively, Chris, is uh, A, you got to have inflation coming down towards their 2% target. Because if they if they cut rates aggressively and inflation is not coming down, you you run the risk of ignite reigniting inflation later on this year and into 2025, and we're right back in the same problem that we had last right. year. So with, with the Fed with a with a tight money policy, so um, I think they run that sort of risk. And if and, and like you said, the economy is not falling off a cliff here. Um, uh, I I don't know about this whole soft landing talk. I mean, they they, they that that always tends to to uh, be kicked around uh, by the Fed and by some other econo- economists and so forth. And I don't think they've ever had a soft landing. All they've all really said <laughs> well, is that the economy is soft, right? Yeah, but I mean, look, I, I've said this you know, to you before and to others. I, I, I don't think I've actually said this in, in this forum here, but let me say it. Um, the part of the Fed's job is the two mandates that Powell always talks about. Right. The unwritten uh, mandate is to be somewhat of a cheerleader for the economy. Why? Why must they do this? Well, consider the alternative. Bob, what would happen if Powell got up during one of these press conferences and said, oh, my goodness, the economy is falling off a cliff. It is falling out of bed. It looks horrible. What happens? Well, we would everybody we would have, everybody. We would have- Everybody loses their you-know-what, right? We've already experienced that. None of us were alive back in 1929, but that's the same thing that happened. Yeah, The yeah, market yeah. would crash but, and, and the economy would go into a, a tailspin. Yeah, well, let, let's not be quite so dire. Let's just say that people would freak out, okay? People yeah. would freak yeah. out. So so whenever you know Powell talks about the economy or the Fed talks about the economy, there's always this little positive undertone that they have. And I think that's part of the reason why it's hard for them to have what we would call at times a realistic forecast for the economy. Right? They're always right. They're they're always a little slanted in that way. And I I, I can understand, uh, you know, some of the reasons for that. Right? You know, um, but uh, what was I going to say to you about all these rate cuts and everything? What? Who? So. The one other thing that you know we we haven't talked about, but it's important now because the 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 Fed members that were voting in 2023, not the not the members that are voting in 2024, right? We've got some changes on that, and I know you watch the composition of the FOMC, you know, closer than most. So what's like who's out, who's in? How do you interpret that from a, I guess, tone perspective? So a little context here, Chris. There's about a dozen uh, voting members on the, on the board, uh, on the committee. Uh, and four of the, um, 
members are rotating from regional banks. So uh, as you correctly said, this year um, we get four members rotating in, and those are, those are from banks in San Francisco. Mary Daly, we get Cleveland. Fed Loretta Mester, who's going to retire later this year, but she's still on the on the uh, committee. Uh, Raphael Bostic from Atlanta and Tom Barkin from Richmond. So these four are rotating in as voting members with the other eight or so members that are uh, board, board of reserve governors and so forth, committee members, along with Jay Powell, who has a uh, who has one vote uh, along with everybody else. Um, so. How, how do these regional banks have some influence? So I would say Loretta Mester is probably your your, your more more hawkish uh, president, um, and then Bostic and Mary Daly probably more in the neutral camp. And then I'd say Tom Barkin is leaning towards dovish, even though he did say some make some comments the other day that were not so not so dovish, but he was a little confusing. Let's put it that way. And he, <laughs> but what part, so, part but for the, the course, right? Yeah, but let me let me ask you something about Bostic because he, you know, in late December after the last policy meeting, he was one of the few uh, Fed heads, as I like to call them, that kind of came out, and and he offered probably the most sobering take, and he stuck to his guns, saying that effectively, I don't see any rate cuts in the first half of the year, maybe two or three in the back half of the year, we'll have to see. Um, very different. Than what the market had to say, and and at the time, you know, the market was in very much feel good year end, you know, type of mode, and it just kind of brushed off what he had to say. Um, you know, I think that if the basket of Fed speakers you alluded to for next week kind of reiterate that in force, I think the market's going to have to take note. I I don't think that Raphael Bostic from Atlanta said anything different than 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 what the committee said in the last uh, Fed meeting in December. And I, I, I looked at the minutes yesterday. And, oh, oh and I, I did, too. too. I did, too. I yeah. think I think the difference is that um, and, and if you kind of piece it together now, now now that we have those minutes, you know, you really came across from reading the minutes that, OK, they are open to rate cuts, but there's no spelled out timetable. Powell did say that. But I think the market was kind of like, yeah, okay, come on, yeah, sure, whatever, okay, right, wink, wink, we get it. But Bostic was the one who came out and said, don't expect it in the first half of the year. Yeah. And they just did yeah, not want to listen. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, um, eventually, as I said earlier, some of these Fed speakers are going to come out over the next eight to 10 days, probably cold, throw cold water on the, yeah. on the market, you know, and if they do... Then you know it's just going to uh, it's going to cause the markets to drop uh, as well too. I agree. I agree. All right, Bob. Before we get out of here, any any yep. it one particular stock that is kind of catching your eye? Um, uh, interest rates, Chris. And 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 again, you know what we talked a little bit about this with the Fed and and how the interest rates are slowly trying to back right up. We did see the ten-year yield tickle back above four uh, percent for a bit yesterday. Um, on Wednesday, the third, uh, um, and come and it's trying to come back down again. If we get a move back up above four percent, it means the 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 market is getting religion about rate cuts and perhaps mm -hmm. probably removing some of those rate cuts. We we may even see it uh, back up to five. It's now currently six rate cuts expected expected in 2024. Maybe we have to five or four. 
coming back more in alignment with what the Fed is expecting. So I'm watching interest rates very carefully. Energy prices as well, too. We have the XLE and the in the AAP portfolio. We're really happy when we have that that uh, that name. It's done real well for us since we uh, since we bought it. XLE, the energy uh, energy ETF. Uh, S&P uh, energy ETF. It's, it's a good one. And I'm watching energy prices because, uh, you know, there's a lot of turmoil going on in the Red Sea area and some of the uh, in the Middle East. And uh, OPEC is wanting to continue to cut uh, uh, production. And uh, as we it, there's a lot of supply and demand issues out there right now. And uh, if they cut production anymore, we can certainly see crude oil get back get back above 80. And remember what uh, China President Xi said over the weekend in his New Year's address that, uh, well, he didn't necessarily mince words, but he what he said was, uh, we are going to continue to stimulate the economy and get things rolling again. I think it's very fair to say that China's economy in 2023 after the reopening was a big disappointment to many. Yeah, and so, you know what, he he's uh, probably borrowing uh, Jerome Powell's uh, printing press for 2024. <laughs> print more money. <laughs> print, print, print. Well, we will see. That's, we will see. That, that's how they stim. That's how you stimulate an economy, right, Chris? Uh, true, true. Well, that's one way. That's one way. Stimulus policies, you know, like we're seeing here, Infrastructure Chips Act, and and some others are are another way to do that. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some of that there as well. But Bob, you and I will talk more about that in an upcoming podcast. That is our time today for the AAP podcast. Be sure to march on over to aap.thestreet.com for more, and we will see you next time.